Good morning. I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We'll be in verses 16 through 17, or you can follow along with me on the screen behind you. This is what the scripture says. It's news I'm most proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him, starting with the Jews and then right on to everyone else. God's way of putting people right shows up in the acts of faith, confirming what the scripture has said all along. The person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives. Well, December 27th, 2010 was by far the worst day of my life. Somewhere in the gathering darkness of early evening, I awoke to the sound of an indescribable, wordless, chattering sound inside my head. I opened my eyes and tried to figure out exactly where I was and what had happened. I was cold, and I could feel the crunch of decaying leaves underneath me as my body shifted. Something sharp was poking me in the back, and as I moved my arm to investigate, I discovered that I was lying on top of the crushed remains of my eyeglasses. There was some kind of slick material coating my chin, and as I sat up, I realized it was blood. Looking down, I could see even more of it spattered across the front of my sweatshirt. I explored the inside of my mouth with my fingers, and I determined that I'd somehow bitten off the tip of my tongue, and that the blood that was still flowing freely was my own. My feet felt like they were starting to freeze, and looking down, I saw that my socks were soaked and covered in dirt. Squinting to see in the gathering gloom, I saw a pair of size 15 Nikes, one about 10 feet to my left and the other five or six feet to my right. And shoving my feet into them, I determined that they were, in fact, mine. I turned a circle, trying to find my bearings. About 50 yards away, I recognized my car sitting in the grass, and as I moved toward it, something brushed my cheek. Turning, I grabbed a makeshift noose fastened from bungee cord tie-downs and S-hooks hanging from a partially broken tree branch, and suddenly things started to come back to me. The chattering in my head intensified to an overpowering roar as the world started to go black again. I don't remember anything else until a police officer's flashlight rapping against my car window startled me. The beam washed over my bloody shirt and up to my face, which was now awash in blood and snot and tears as I sobbed uncontrollably, unable to understand the words that he was shouting at me. And through it all, one solitary thought kept running through my mind over and over and over again. Why? Am I still alive? The 27th was a Monday. It was two days after Christmas. And because I didn't have to work that day, I was trying to organize my laptop computer files. At some point in the late morning, I recalled an old email account that we hadn't used for several years. And I wanted to see if I had some old PowerPoints that were still on there. So I accessed it. What I found made my blood run cold. It wasn't the first time in our 16-year marriage that I had caught my wife cheating on me. But this time, the evidence was by far the worst. Worse yet, there were emails from her parents who were in on the plans as well, agreeing that I was headed nowhere in life and that she and the kids would be better off without me. 
I couldn't breathe. I couldn't think of anything aside from the harsh reality that my life was over. And I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. By the time my wife got home, I'd made up my mind. And brushing past her in the doorway, I mumbled, tell the kids I loved them, and got in my car. After driving aimlessly for a while, I finally found a stand of trees away from the road, and I parked out of sight. Rummaging through the trunk, I fashioned a noose from what I could find there, and I found a tree branch sturdy enough to take my weight. I said a quick prayer asking God to forgive me, and I dropped into blackness as I felt myself leaving my body. To be honest, I still don't know for sure how I survived or how I ended up on the ground. I don't know how I got back to town or what all I said, but I do know that all of that put together was enough to land me in the back of a cage car and off to a locked ward at Larned State Hospital. I'd been a therapist for about 12 years at that time, and I'd signed paperwork committing lots of people to Larned plenty of times, but I had no idea what it was like to have my freedom stripped away so completely. I did not want to be there. I wanted to be out and trying to save my family, but I didn't have very many choices. For two long weeks, I had no control over anything that was happening in my life. I was served with divorce papers while I was locked up. I learned that I was losing everything that I cared about in life, that I no longer had a home to return to, that my wife had run up more than $50,000 in credit card debt in my name without my knowledge. The only thing I really had was a lot of time and a Bible. One of the passages that I read over and over is today's scripture from Romans 1. What possible good news is there? I kept asking. In a situation like this, what in the world do I have left to live for? During my time as a guest of the psych ward, I met several unique people, but three of them stand out and are relevant to our discussion today. And so I want to tell you a little bit about three lessons that I learned from my fellow patients as it relates to the good news this morning. Three things that happen when we place our struggles and our disappointments in God's hands. Number one is this, losses become victories. Paul says in verse 16 that the gospel is an extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him. Well, I was pretty much in a stupor my first few days on the ward, and since I wasn't talkative and nobody knew my name, the other patients took to calling me family guy. I don't know if that's because I just bear a striking resemblance to Peter Griffin or because they heard that I'd lost my family, but my passivity also landed me a seat next to Randy more often than not. Randy wasn't popular for one important reason. He smelled like the inside of an eighth-grade locker room. He was a short, stocky little man who scurried around, kind of half-hunched over, and he didn't say much of anything to anyone. Instead, he seemed to be carrying on some sort of dialogue with himself, lots of nonsensical words that only he understood. The reason he stunk was that he refused to shower or change his clothes. Well, one evening I was staring off into space while an NFL playoff game was on TV, and This was back when Peyton Manning was still with the Colts. Randy was sitting next to me, and he was really dialed into the game, and he was muttering what seemed to be instructions at the TV. Red Avenger 96, left shift, he'd say. And then after the play ended, he'd smile and he'd nod his head. At one point, as 
Manning was doing his usual antics at the line, flapping his arms and stepping back and forth. Randy elbowed me in the ribs. Did you see it? He asked me, grinning and revealing a set of mossy teeth. See what? I asked, surprised that he was talking to me. Manning looked at me, he crowed. He knows. He knows. Well, at halftime, Randy wandered off down the hall, and I was thinking about what my kids might be doing right now when I heard him whispering at me from the doorway. Psst, family guy. I walked over, more out of boredom than curiosity. You know, Randy, I said, my name's actually Brian. So, yeah, yeah, whatever, family guy, he hissed, pulling me into the shadows. He hiked up his sweatshirt and pulled out the waistband on his sweatpants to reveal a greasy sheaf of papers stuffed inside. Go ahead, he grinned. Take a look at him. By this point, my eyes were watering and my gag reflex was getting dangerously close to taking over, so I politely declined. That's okay, Randy. You do the honors. The papers he'd been hiding in his clothes were a series of secret plays that he had drawn up for the Colts. In his mind, it seems Randy was being held in protective custody in the hospital so that the plays didn't fall into the wrong hands. His play calling was taking place telepathically, and under his guidance, Peyton Manning was destined to take those plays and win the Super Bowl. Being locked up, not changing clothes, going without showers, all of those were worth the price of a world championship for Randy. Well, the writer of Romans tells us that the gospel or the good news is more than just our ticket to heaven. It has a purpose right here and right now for each and every one of us. He says that it's salvation or rescue for those who trust him. And the Greek from which we translate that, Soteria, is the name of a Greek goddess who wore a laurel wreath on her head to symbolize victory. It means deliverance from enemies or a source of safety. You see, Randy saw his time in the hospital as his salvation because it became an opportunity for him to gain the ultimate victory. In light of that, nothing else he was experiencing really mattered a whole lot. It occurred to me that God sometimes allows disappointments and losses into our lives because they're intended to be a way of rescuing us from the lesser things that we're pursuing. Before I lost everything... I cared about one person. That was myself. My main objective in life was to prove my superiority to everyone else in every way possible. I drove myself academically so I could feel smarter than everyone else. I career hopped and became a workaholic so that I could have more money and nicer things. I drove myself physically in the martial arts so that I could earn black belts and be physically intimidating to others. But somewhere in the midst of that pursuit... I stopped caring about who God had made me to be and what he wanted me to do with the gifts he had given me. It took a great big roadblock in my path to rescue me from a very self-destructive course. Losses become victories. Secondly, detours become course corrections. Paul continues that the good news is also God's way of putting people right, and it shows up in acts of faith. Well, the first time I saw Gloria, she was doing what I soon discovered that she almost always did. She would walk in a large loop around the unit with an open Bible in her hand. 
And then she would reach in and she would grab handfuls of something invisible and she would just kind of shower them over people and over furniture and over the walls as she went by, sprinkling it along. Some days she would do this for hours, whispering under her breath as she went and ignoring the laughter and the comments directed at her. One afternoon she noticed me watching her and so she stopped in front of me. Locking her eyes with mine, she reached down and she grabbed my wrist with surprising strength and really kind of startled me, frightened me. And I was debating whether or not to pull away and run for my life when she screwed her eyes shut and she stiffened and jerked rhythmically for a few seconds. And when she opened her eyes again, she said to me very solemnly, the Lord says to tell you that you need to go to law school as soon as you get out of here. Why? I asked. She smiled conspiratorially and whispered, Because you are going to be the next president of the United States. So I got that going for me, which is nice. (laughs) While I was sorting all that out, she beckoned me over by the large bay of windows in the day room. and They faced the west and the late afternoon sun was shining in. She stood right up against the wire mesh covering them and she just pressed her fingers up against it. You need to do this every day, she sighed as the sun bathed her face in an eerie glow. God meets us right here, and if we let him, he just draws out all the sin through our fingers, and he sends the good back in with the light. Well, figuring I didn't really have anything to lose at this point, I stepped up next to her, and I tried it. Although I didn't get the same effect, I had to admit that the sun felt pretty good on my face. I was still standing there enjoying that feeling when she slipped away back to her walking. Law school, she reminded me as she left. Well, the second way that Romans 1 tells us that the good news is important here now is that it puts us right with God. The Greek he uses here means that we're put into an acceptable condition, that our thinking, our feeling, our acting are all corrected to line up with God's priorities. Uh, In one sense, we're made righteous in God's eyes the moment we accept Christ because our eternal destiny is secured. But in the Wesleyan tradition where I pastor, we're also taught that another process begins at this point. Sanctification, the lifelong journey through which we're conformed to the likeness of Christ. That stripping away of all that is not Christ within us is often uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, and it can be downright unpleasant. A psychologist Rollo May famously said, one does not become fully human painlessly. My prayer during my time in the hospital was a very simple one. God, I prayed, open the doors and I will commit to walk through them. It's a very simple prayer, but I can tell you from experience that living it out is not so easy. More often than not, the doors that God opens seem to lead in the opposite direction of where we think we should be heading. Some of you are sitting here today and you're wondering if you made the wrong choice by walking through the door that led here. Maybe you ended up with a roommate you think you can't stand. Maybe you missed that boyfriend or girlfriend back home. Maybe the adjustment to small town Kansas is tougher than you thought it would be. Maybe college level work is a lot more difficult than you anticipated. But a truth that you'll either learn now or much later down the road when the stakes are higher is this. 
whether or not you're happy or things are easy or life seems to be falling into place is not an accurate measure of whether you're following where God is leading. Course correction, sanctification, becoming the man or woman that God wants you to be, whatever you want to call it, it's work that has to be done. And there's no way to avoid passing through periods of uncertainty in life. God brought you here for a reason. There's important work that will take place in your mind and your soul this year. So see it through to the end. Well, finally, dying dreams give way to true life. Paul concludes saying that the person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives. Well, the final patient I want to tell you about today was the most different from me, but he was also my favorite person by far. Edwin was an African-American man in his late 50s, and for whatever reason, he made it his mission to help pull me through my time in the hospital. We'd never spoken before. Uh, One day, and I was sitting in my room, and he came knocking on the door. Family guy, he almost screamed as an enormous smile threatened to swallow his entire face. You know, actually, Edwin, my name's Brian. Family guy, he bellowed again, twice as loud this time, and he held up a plastic grocery sack. I got some money from the canteen, and I went and bought us some Kit Kats and some Twizzlers and some Twinkies, and we're going to go in the day room and spread them out all over the table, and then we're going to eat them and eat them and eat them, and it'll be great. How do you say no to an invitation like that? Edwin's enthusiasm was infectious, and I would find myself caught up in his wake as he decided to go and thoroughly enjoy every aspect of every day. If we had art therapy, it was, we're going to glue us some tongue depressors together and make little boxes, and then we're going to paint them and paint them and paint them, and it'll be great. And if we got to go to the pool, we were swimming and swimming and swimming, and it'll be great. The more time I spent around Edwin, the less I found myself crying. I even managed to smile along with him a time or two. The final way the good news becomes relevant today when we place our struggles and our disappointments in God's hands is that we learn what it means to truly live. Paul says that once we find ourselves in right relationship with God, our eyes are opened to the kind of life that he intends us to live. In Greek literature, there were two contrasting types of life. Bios, where we get our word biology, referred to the years that make up our lifespan. Aristotle used it to describe the rational or the ethical life. It's dry and it's boring. The other, the kind used here in Romans, is zoe. The way it's used in this passage is as a verb, so it denotes movement and vigor and growth. There's almost a sense of energy coming off of the page. It's the kind of life that Edwin had decided to live, and not even the bars on the doors of the psych ward could contain it. So why don't more of us experience this Zoe type of life? Well, the truth be told, I think most of us can't grab on to the life that God offers because we won't let go of the hopes and the dreams that make up our current life. For years, I was the fat kid in school. Girls didn't notice me, and I always felt overlooked and inferior So my life's dreams were all about really showing everyone who made fun of me, who excluded me, who ignored me, 
how stupid they really were. I was going to be rich and famous and have a life that everyone else would envy. And for the first 40 years of my life, I chased those dreams until they almost cost me my life. It wasn't until I saw all of my worldly belongings in garbage bags at the curb of the house that used to be mine that my grip started to loosen. It wasn't until I spent my first Christmas alone that I let go a little more. It wasn't until I learned what it's like to see another man get to spend more time with my children than I do. What it feels like to ache inside after their weekend at my house is over that it started to dawn on me that my hopes and my dreams had all been a waste. Maybe this morning you're struggling with dreams of your own. Maybe you came here expecting to be the star of the team and it looks instead like you might be riding the bench this year. Maybe you've always gotten straight A's and you just got a quiz back that has an unfamiliar letter at the top of it. Maybe you can't seem to find where you fit in yet and you just want to quit. Whatever the case, stop and ask yourself, is what I'm chasing real life or is it a poor substitute? What would happen if I loosened my grip even just a little bit and asked God what else might be out there for me? I know these aren't easy questions. And finding the answers for yourself isn't easy either. Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl was one of a very few survivors of the Auschwitz concentration camp in World War II. While he was imprisoned, his wife, his family, and most of his friends died. So upon his release, he found himself overwhelmed by the challenge of rebuilding his life again. In his classic book, Man's Search for Meaning, he reflected on the experience, and this is what he wrote. Everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life. Everyone must carry out a concrete assignment that demands fulfillment. Therein, he cannot be replaced, nor can his life be repeated. And thus, everyone's task is as unique as his specific opportunity to implement it. So what's the good news for you today, regardless of your circumstances? God created you for a purpose. God loves you and wants the best for you. God is at work within you, no matter how it might look. And best of all, God isn't done yet. If you feel lost on your journey or you need help finding answers, don't do it alone. Come see me. Come see Christian, go see Lloyd over at the Counseling Center, go into Tina's office, find one of us. We here as a faculty and staff at Sterling College are here to help, and we want that opportunity. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning, and we confess that uh, it's hard to sort out life sometimes. We have our standards, and you have yours, and uh, making those two meet is, is really difficult. I especially lift up each and every one of these young people out here this morning. They're at such a critical point in their lives, so many important decisions to be made and, and choices that even now are affecting their life later on down the road. God, I know that if this is like any other crowd, there's discouragement out there. There's uncertainty. God, there is just a sense of longing and emptiness that needs to be filled. Father, I pray that your spirit would move among us 
that you would lift up those who are in need of ministering, that you would uh, spur those of us on who can help to reach out to them as well. God, that you would be glorified in this place and in this school year. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.